Welcome to Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Kim Farina, a veterinarian, a writer. I've worked in the animal health industry, and prior to that, I was an MTV journalist and radio personality. So yes, my career has taken me in lots of different directions. In each episode of Scrub Chat, I sit down and chat with a veterinarian or technician as they share their own directions, what's worked, what hasn't, and how they've made it all fit. Thank you for joining me as we explore veterinary medicine combined with all the other aspects of our lives. Zoetis has generously created these podcasts to help support the profession we love. Today, we get to chat with Dr. Omar Farias, a veterinarian who is currently the Senior Manager of Academic Affairs at Hills Pet Nutrition, and before that, he was the co-owner of a small animal hospital in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me here today, Kim. Excellent. Well, let's begin by telling me, what do you do in your current job? Um, so first of all, I, I love working for Hills. Um, uh, you know, I'm the senior manager of academic affairs, like you said. Um, so like the name implies, I, I, I manage our relationship and the strategy of what we do at vet schools, you know, how to engage with students, how to engage with the veterinary schools and the vet tech schools. Um, additionally to that, I'm, I'm also part of the team that manages our um, conference um, strategy. So really, how do we how do we go to conferences? What conference we we get to go to? You know, what do we do in those conferences? What is our messaging? Um, um, that that's part of my my role. So, do you like working with the students? I do. I, I would say the students are probably um, uh, some of the most energizing part of my my job. You know, I would say the most energizing part of my job. Mm-hmm. And how did you begin your career at Hills? Because you know. I don't know how many veterinary students would know that you could get a job at Hills as a veterinarian. Yeah. So I, I would say it's the power of networking. So one of my best friends from vet school um, happens to have been working for Hills, somebody you may know. Um, and um, there was a job that um, opened in New York City, and um, she she let me know about the job. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a point in my life that I was looking for something different to, you know, potentially do. And then and I applied. But it's interesting in that if you hadn't talked to your friend from vet school, would you even know a job like this exists? Like, did you think from vet school, you just go into clinical practice? Yeah. You know, I never thought I would be an, an industry veterinarian. I very like very much like the position, but I um, I didn't. And honestly, it was just that connection with a friend that like showed me this other new world, this other part of veterinary medicine that existed, that in, in at that point in my career, I was completely unaware of it. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I often feel like since I'm not in clinical practice anymore, that people will say to me, well, you're not a real veterinarian. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah. I, you know, I, sometimes people get, um, they ask me, well, you know, why do you stop being a vet? Um, and I, I want to say, no, I didn't actually lose my degree. Um, you know, I'm just utilizing my degree in a different way. I think we're part of a profession that has a unique power to be able to move into different roles. So your career doesn't have to be linear. Um, you know, your career can, you can make out of your career whatever you want. So, so yeah, I get that as well. Yeah. 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 And I love that you said, you know, our careers don't have to be linear because we think one thing, but who, who would have known this whole tree with tons of branches exists before us in terms of being a veterinarian. And, 
so you graduated from University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine. And interestingly, you were born and raised in Puerto Rico, and you did your undergraduate degree at University of Puerto Rico in Rio Piedras. So um, walk me through how, so you were living in Puerto Rico. How did, how did you know you wanted to be a veterinarian and how did you get to Penn? Yeah, so uh, great question. So, you know, I was probably the typical kid that was really interested in science um, and had an obsession with pets, uh, particularly my, my little chihuahuas. And, uh, um, and I actually own a chihuahua today. Um, but I, I went into, you know, for most of my life, I was like, I'm going to be vet, I'm going to be vet, I'm going to be vet. I got to high school and I got to this weird moment in life. And I was like, ooh, I, I, I like science, but do I really want to be a vet? Do I want to be an MD? You know, uh, do I want a different role? So so I actually applied um, into undergrad for pre-med. Uh, but I still had this burning um, wanting to work with pets. And that kind of that obsession was never gone, uh, uh, especially with dogs. And... Um, you know, I went and volunteered at a vet hospital. And as soon as I finished that one day of working as a volunteer at a vet hospital, I was like, this is it. This is, this is really what I wanted to do. It reminded me what I kind of have known, but I almost have lost my way a little bit. Um, and I, I loved it. And I, I haven't looked back since. So how did you get, okay, so you, so walk me through the timeline because there oh. you are loving being, you know, being in the environment. Um, and then how did you get actually to Penn? Yeah, so um, so Puerto Rico does not have a vet school. Um, so my choices at that point uh, were going to look at a U.S. school. Um, you know, sometimes uh, Puerto Rican students look into some of the Caribbean schools as well. At that point, if I remember correctly, it was only Ross. So it was only one um, Caribbean school um, at that point. Um, some Puerto Rican students also end up going to um, like Spain or Mexico to, to study veterinary medicine. Um, so I honestly, I, I, I started looking for resources and understanding where the universities were. So um, I knew I wanted to end up in the Northeast. Um, you know, so um, I, I, I guess I was the, the Hispanic. Um, I knew in the back of my head that I was a Hispanic gay male moving into the U.S., into a different culture. And I, I have a brother. I only have one brother and he lives in Massachusetts. And I wanted to be kind of closer to them and. Um, it was the part of the United States I was the most comfortable with. Uh, so, so then I, I kind of make those schools my priority. So, you know, like everybody else applied, crossed my fingers, you know, I think I applied to like seven schools. Um, uh, and I would have been honestly happy to get into, um, any of them. And I you know, would have been happy to be a student, at any of them. I love my time at Penn, but you know, um, it ended up being a perfect match for me. It's in a great city in the Northeast. And, um, I had a, a great support, supportive classmates and it's a, it a really good experience. So. Now you bring up supportive classmates. I'm curious, was your brother in Massachusetts when you were in vet school or you were planning to apply to vet school? Yeah, my brother had arrived the year before I had. Okay. And were your parents in Puerto Rico? Yeah, they still are. They still live in the home I live in. Okay. Yeah. So my, my question is vet school is so grueling. It is so hard. And I think support is such um, an integral part of success in vet school. How is it like to be so far away from your family? Were you, did you just keep running back to Puerto Rico any chance you could get, which is kind of hard in vet school? Or what What was that? Think that picture for me. Yeah, so um, I, I'll say I had a, a great group of supportive classmates, like I mentioned, um, I was able to 
connect with a, a large group of friends um, in vet school. Going back and forth to Puerto Rico, I did it in the summers um, and, um, you know, in the, in, this, in the winter break um, and sometimes spring break. Um, but I worked through the summers to help kind of support myself. So I would go for just a little bit and come back. So, you know, my parents were great at, about at least they, they paid for my trips back and forth to see them in Puerto Rico. Um, but um, I really felt I had a community at Penn, honestly. Um, uh, I, I think we're part of a um, a unique profession. There's a lot of great people um, that are veterinarians. You know, I'm kind of proud of, of being part of that profession. And, and, and my experience with my classmates, for the most part, was exactly the same. You know, they were interested in who I was, you know. Um, um, they, they, they took their time of... Um, of receiving me in a really warm, welcoming way. So you graduated vet school and then you went into clinical practice. Right. And so, because later then you co-own a practice. So what did, how did that happen? So I never thought I was going to be a practice owner in my life. I, you know, I honestly had no interest in becoming a practice owner. Uh, But it was one of those moments that the opportunity landed um, uh, on my lap and uh, we went for it, you know. Um, it's one of those things that, you know, life changes and you, um, you decide to adapt and, and look to see what the new opportunity is. So, um, uh, so after, I think I, I worked in two different hospitals in the Philadelphia metropolitan area uh, as an associate veterinarian. And that was about four years doing that. Um, the previous owner of the hospital that I ended up co-owning, uh, was going to retire. And then one of the other main doctors and myself decided to, Hey, why don't we, why don't we pick it up from here and, and take it from there and then kind of own it together. So what were some of the surprises that came with owning a practice? Uh, a lot of surprises. Um, you know, first of all, you are, you're the front line for everything. Um, you know, it's very different for being an associate veterinarian, uh, where you have the opportunity to rely on the ownership of the hospital and, you know, you, you do your, your best at, at, on your work and, and then, but if if there are, some of the other major things are escalated to somebody else, so if you are a practice owner, you are if there's a problem with somebody's, um, you know, let's say they have a medical leave or a medical problem or a family situation uh, where they can't work or you know they have to limit their hours, um, you're involved in that conversation. You know, um, you end up having to do shifts that you you know you're not the veter- you know you're a veterinarian, but then all of a sudden you're. One day you're down somebody that was helping the kennels and animals need to be fed and taken care of and give meds and you have one tech down or whatever. So you kind of get your hands dirty and you do all that work. And then and then if there's a medical problem or complaint, you know, uh, you know, or an error. You know, we're humans. We are all going to bound to make errors. Uh, but you're you're that person that, you know, um, has to tackle that error head on and and deal with it. So that, that was, you know, that was the, this, the, the no break, uh, from the responsibility. So, but, but it can be a lot of fun too. Well, uh, describing that, would you recommend, uh, practice ownership to say a young career, uh, a veterinarian who's starting their career off? And so I, I would say yes, because, you know, everybody is on their individual pathway. And if that, if there's something that, you know, somebody grew up imagining that they're going to be a practice owner one day, and that is what they want to do. I would recommend to them for them to connect with all the practice owners and research it and look into it and learn about it. You know, I probably came a little naive into it. 
you know, just, I wasn't planning to it. I'd never thought I would be one. And then the opportunity came and, you know, I, I, I'm not risk avert, you know, and so we went for it. And, you know, I would say for the most part, it was a great experience. So I wouldn't discourage them, but I would say probably take the time to research it a little more, learn about it more, connect with other people having practice managers uh, or practice owners, I should say. So connect with other people that have been practice owners and, and, and really learn, um, learn from their mistakes, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's very wise. During your time in clinical practice as a practice owner or not, did you ever experience any discrimination or like a client wouldn't see you because you're Hispanic? No, you know, uh, when I came out of vet school, people were like, oh, you're too young to be a vet. But, you know, that didn't really bother me. I, um, I, I wouldn't say that I had um, any specific discrimination with clients not wanting to see me because I was a Hispanic male. Uh, the only point in my life that I, that I had some stranger interactions uh, was I, I felt unease when I, was, um, when I arrived to Philadelphia and people decided to call me exotic. Um, um, so that, you know, I, I guess that that's been, that's been the only time in my life that I would say, you know, that, um, I wasn't really comfortable with the term being used um, toward me. Right. Right. No, definitely mm-hmm. not. And being in vet school, going back there for a second, did you ever feel like you had to prove yourself more or work harder because you were Hispanic? Well, I think the the English is the second language that come in uh, in a part. So I, University of Puerto Rico, all the instruction is in Spanish, uh, unless you're taking a language course. But other than, other than that, everything else is taught in Spanish. Your exams are in Spanish. Um, and so all the bulk of my education was in Spanish from, you know, first grade on, except my English courses. And um, when we got to biochem, uh, biochem exams were really, you had to explain uh, pathways and you had to kind of write the explanation out. Um, and I found myself having a hard time doing that from English to English. So in some cases, I would take the time of looking how I wanted to explain something um, uh, in English or how, how something was explained to me in class, excuse me, then writing that into Spanish so that it would be something that I was more comfortable with and then kind of writing it back into English. And that was a way for me to memorize some of those things. So I would say certainly that class on my first year was probably my biggest struggle in terms of being able to memorize um, um, the amount of materials that you had to learn. Right, right. I want to circle back again to practice ownership. Um, You had the practice for seven years and then you sold it. So why did you sell it? So, you know, I was looking for something different. I, I wanted a, uh, I wanted a change in my life. Uh, you know, um, the, the partnership wasn't great, you know, um, and uh, uh, I, I was willing to t- take a step away and look for something else to do. Um, so I was either going to open another practice just on my own or um, look for a different opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. um, so, so, you know, the different opportunity ended up knocking on my door and that's what we did. Right, right. And if the the friend from vet school hadn't told you about the opportunity at Hills, again, you you would have just gone back into clinical practice? Yeah, I probably would have just opened my own hospital as a single practitioner. I believe, now if I remember correctly in my research, um, that your husband, Paul, was he the office manager for you for your 
practice? Yeah, so he was for the later part of the ownership. Not initially. We had somebody else um, manage the practice, but he did. He did the role got at least three or four years. I don't remember right now, but yeah, he did. So. Oh my gosh. So you both were like fully emerged in this. Yeah, that was interesting. I, you know, um, I think we're great at love together. I'm not sure that uh, working together was that, um, that good for our relationship at the end, at the end of the day. <laughs> so, okay. Fair enough. And he's not a, he's not a veterinarian. No, correct? no, he's not a veterinarian. Uh, we, we met at Penn. He, he went to Penn mm-hmm. as well, but he studied history. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right now you're both happily married. You live in Kansas City. And my understanding is is that you actually didn't come out um, to being gay until you were in vet school. Can you tell us more, like, why was that time period in your life a good time to do it? Yeah, that's a great question, Kim. Uh, you know, so vet school is a, it's a time of um, a lot of transition, obviously. I had um, I had moved away from my loved ones at home and my world at home in Puerto Rico. Um, I had left my family and friends behind and and come to this new community at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and, you know, it's also a very transformational time, um, uh, you know, in, as, as a human growing up. You know, I, I started vet school when I was 21. Um, you know, I graduated vet school when I was 25. Um, uh, so, you know, it's kind of the time that you start coming into your own. It's is um, it's understanding who you are. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a quite conservative Catholic family. Um, um, I have a great relationship with my parents today, but I was very much, um, afraid to, to come out. I put a judgment on, um, what was being gay and what were the consequences of what were going to happen. So, so coming to a new city, having a new set of friends, it was a window of opportunity that created for me to really understand who I was and just explore, you know, what dimension of me did I want to show the world? And, you know, I think the most important part of life is just being authentic to yourself. Um, and by being authentic to yourself, you can be authentic to others. So it was really the moment that I learned who I was uh, as an individual, as a veterinarian. And um, it, it was right. And, and, and you know, going back to my supportive classmates, I was really nervous about telling all these people nobody blinked an eye. Um, uh, it was, it was, it was a great time. When you said, you know, you told your uh, classmates and, you know, nobody blanked, how did the rest of your universe take it? So I had some hiccups with my parents. Uh, you know, they, um, they, they love my husband, Paul today and, you know, things are great. Uh, but you know, there were some challenges at the beginning. Um, I think I had to explain to them what they had a different idea of what me coming out to them meant. You know, they had a preconceived idea of what the, would that mean, what what career, what path in life I would take uh, by announcing that. So, so once we worked out through those preconceived notions, and they understood that, you know, I was just their son, uh, and I was just being true to myself, which is something that they always taught me. Um, uh, it ended up being very well. And my friends and my brother and have always been pretty good about the whole thing. So, yeah, yeah. excellent. I actually also wanted to know about personal finances because so many veterinary students, as you know, struggle with debt. I was curious if you had any student debt and if so, how are you managing it? And if not, you know, what advice do you give to students? Yeah, so I, I do have student debt. So, you know, I was lucky enough. I went to University of Puerto Rico, which my parents paid for, for my undergrad degree. 
uh, University of Puerto Rico is also um, compared to the, the you know the schools in the states. It's a much less expensive school tuition wise. So so my parents were able to do that for me. Vet school was not, so I had to um, take loans, and so I still have actually some student debt. Uh, you know, I consolidated after vet school. Unfortunately, the interest rate is not as good as it is today. Um, you know, and you know once you consolidate, you're still kind of stuck with that rate. Yeah. Right. You know, I'm, I'm I'm almost done paying it. I you know, I just it's important. I think if that's the one thing that um, you got to prioritize in terms of what you pay. It's those student loans. You know, it, it can affect your credit if you don't. And, you know, credit worthiness is really kind of important in this country. So, you know, I think that people need to look for ways to consolidate those loans uh, at a good interest rate. Um, you know, make extra payments if you can. Right now, I'm actually just paying extra to them. So I hopefully crossing my fingers right now. Mm-hmm. If, if everything remains, I should be done within the next three years with them. So Fantastic. I know. That's great. Trust me, I will celebrate when that happens. <laughs> oh, I know. I hear. I I'm still paying off my student debt, actually. Yeah. So I am with you. I hear yeah, it. Yeah. I hear. I hear what you're saying. I um, and it's interesting that you still were a, a an owner of a practice. You owned a practice, and you still had student debt. A lot of people feel like those can't live together, but as you proved, that can totally exist. Yeah, they can, and you know the the. The, the financing options for being a practice owner are available. It doesn't really, your student debt doesn't really account as much for that. You're buying it from the business side. So people can do both. It's so funny. The guests I've interviewed on the show um, have had many different types of careers. And I, I'm telling you, like everyone has war stories. Everyone, it, it's just part of being a veterinarian. And I spoke with one guest recently who was um, injured by a calf jack, but she learned her lesson. Like there was always a lesson with it. And then there was another veterinarian who I talked to who was like flung across a stall by a mare when she went between the foal and the mare, you know, that's like, you're not supposed to do that, but she didn't know. She knows now, right? So I was curious um, if, you know, like I, I think in these war stories, you, you know, you may hurt yourself, but there's always a valuable lesson, it seems, attached to them. Do you have any to share? Yeah, that makes me think of um, when I was in practice um, uh, in, in the suburbs of Philadelphia, there was a small um, uh, American Eskimo that came uh, to be seen for like a routine checkup. A lovely family. I had seen the dog since it was a puppy, had examined it uh, many, many times. Um, I, I did most of the examination, um, and I spoke with them. If I believe we had, I had to need, I needed help for somebody just to pull a little blood from the dog. Um, and I went to one of the treatment, um, uh, tables, um, and I had told one of the techs I needed help. So I was just waiting for the technician uh, to come and I'm not really paying that much attention. You know, I have the dog and I'm holding the dog uh, between my arms and it's just the dog is directly, um, below my head. One of the other technicians was actually bringing a large dog um, into the treatment room, um, but we were far enough that you know I there was no concerns for me the little dog and the big dog. There was no going to be any large dog, no big dog, little dog interaction. Uh, so I thought, and surprisingly, the small little American Eskimo just jumped and grabbed onto my neck and just bit me. Wait, what? Wait, wait, wait! Did you just say your neck? Yes, yeah, yeah. Your neck. Yeah, just grabbed onto my neck. Um, and, and, and bit me. And, you know, I was, I was completely surprised. Um, I, I wasn't expecting it. Um, we were not even trying to draw blood. It was just like a big dog came in. So that just kind of taught me um, to be prepared. You know, we're, we're working with pets that can react. Sometimes they may react out of something they may see from far. I don't think the dog meant to bite me. You know, I think ultimately the dog was reacting 
uh, to the large dog being there. And I had the dog between my arms, just below my head. And the only thing the dog could jump at excitement was just kind of jump up and bite. And when it jumped up and bite and bit, it collided with my neck. So, um, so after I kind of cleaned my neck up, I brought the dog back to the owners um, and explained to them, hey, this just happened. So, so yeah, just so be prepared. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a, that's. That's a lesson. Do you have a scar from it? I do, but my beard um, is hiding it. Oh, your beard covers yeah, it. Yeah, I see. Yeah, okay, yeah. I got it. Yeah, because I I can I look at my hands and I had it's like I remember this scar is from this rabbit and I remember this scar is from this bird. It's it's almost like a scrapbook on your own body. You know, it's like little little yeah. stories. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, well, I feel like I've learned a lot today because I feel like you offered a lot of interesting perspectives to the veterinary world. I, I love that you were saying that, you know, your career doesn't have to be linear. And I also love that you said that I think being authentic to yourself, when you're authentic to yourself, you can be authentic to others. Is there anything more you'd like to add in terms of you know, uh, the listeners who are, you know, tuning into this podcast, um, what what is important for them to know? So I would say probably my biggest learning career-wise where my career path has taken me is, is the power of networking. We belong to a really small but special community. Uh, be kind to your friends. Be kind to your veterinarians. Be kind to the people that you know in the profession. Um, you know, you never know who, if that person that is your friend today, maybe your boss in the future, or you may be their boss in their future. So, so the power of networking and just being kind to each other. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Did you have fun? Yeah, it was great. Excellent. Let's do it again. All right. Fantastic. We'll have, well, Omar, really, I appreciate it so much. And, uh, you know, maybe, we, maybe we'll have you back for part two. This concludes another episode of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. Please remember to visit VetVance at www.vetvance.com and check out Zoetta's Commitment to Veterinarians on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get more information about life issues such as handling student debt, reducing stress, communication skills, and reputation management. VetVance is also available as a mobile app on both Apple and Android devices. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at scrubchat at zoetis.com. We would really like to hear from you. And please don't forget to share and review this podcast so we can produce more in the future. We are grateful to Zoetis for the support. Until next time, this is Scrub Chat. <laughs>